You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Good morning. There we go. That sounds much better. Well, you are all looking so great today. It's great to be in the house of God, and, and I'm excited about the opportunity to stand before you and, and share the word of God with you. And uh, this morning, we are looking forward to just a awesome time together and get my place here aren't you want, uh, thankful for notes maybe not I, I do have some humor I want to start at some, with some humor this morning but I want to prefix it with a, a scripture we don't have to turn there but the Bible says a joyful heart is good medicine do you, do you believe that we see that in Proverbs 17:22. And they actually have done studies and they've discovered that laughter re- releases endorphins in a person's system that actually helps to heal sickness and disease or even affect the outlook on your life and, and dealing with depression and those kind of things. And so I don't want you to judge me on my humor today, uh, but I do have a few one-liners and hopefully you may find one that you like, okay? Ready for first one here? I used to think the brain was the most important organ. Then I thought, look what's telling me that. The brain, right? And some of you, how many of you remember Bruce Lee? You ever watch any of his shows? What is Bruce Lee's favorite drink? Water! (laughs) All right, got that one? I'm not gonna repeat that, okay? Uh, did you know that dry erase boards are remarkable? <laughs> what do you call a dinosaur with an extensive vocabulary? A thesaurus, of course. Okay? Why can't a bike stand on its own? It's too tired. <laughs> Boy, some of you guys are slow here. How did the hipster burn his tongue? Well, the hipster burned his tongue because he drank his coffee before it was cool. (laughs) My friend recently got crushed by a pile of books, but he's only got his shelf to blame. You get it? Okay, shelf, like the shelf back here. Okay. (laughs) And that one didn't go over quite well. I kind of messed up on that one. But last but not least, I wondered why the baseball was getting bigger, and then it hit me. Okay, so what is essence? (laughs) See, that's going to help you receive this word because we get you laughing, and then we just, you know, sock sock it to it, you know. But what is essence? We're talking about essence, and we can define essence several ways. Essence is really the quality of something that determines its character. When we consider essence when referring to an actual person, it refers to a person's character makeup. It refers to their attributes and their kind of DNA and who they really are, uh, their reputation and all that good stuff. Now, God's essence is revealed through his word and by the expression of his character and his attributes, God's essence is his very nature. And that's what we're kind of exploring this month and looking at that. 
essence is defined as the core nature or most important qualities of a person or thing. It's the inward nature of anything. It's what is underlying in its manifestations or its true substance. It's really what's, what true substance is all about. Essence is something that is. It's something that exists. It is the inherent, unchanging nature of something. And so this month we're focusing on the character of God and his attributes. And as we consider God's essence, we discover who he is and we discover what he wants to do in our lives. Uh, we looked last week at Job chapter 11, verse 7, and this is a statement by Zophar the Nalamite. And he passed this question, he poised this question to Job. And he said, can you discover the essence of God? Can you find out the perfection of the Almighty? That's the New English translation. Can we? Can you and I discover the essence of God? Well, I believe we can. Because I believe he desires to encounter each and every one of us in a, in a unique way so that we can know him. Now, this morning we want to take a moment and pray. And as we pray, we want to lift up Bob Wazella, who's hospitalized. Bob's the guy that does it all. He's here, he gets here before I do on Sunday mornings, and I think before anyone else many times. He's, he's making cookies, he's getting the coffee ready and all that. He serves, uh, he's a food service coordinator here at the ministry, but he's a servant of servants, and, and he's dealing with, with uh, physical pain. He's been in, uh, experiencing that they're trying to find out what it is. They don't know if it's an infection, so they want to keep him in for observation. So we're gonna believe that thing can be rooted out of him so he can get back to work. I mean, that, that's him. He hates missing work. And, and he's a servant of servants. And Julie, you've got a great husband. And uh, boys, Alex and Nick, you've got a great dad. And, and you know, so, and if Becky's here, you've got a great stepdad. Uh, he's a great man. We're going to pray for him. We also want to lift up Feyre Moy, who's battling uh, cancer. And uh, we just want to join our faith and stand with their family. Uh, and we know that often certain diseases can be life-threatening, but we believe that the prince of life is, is big enough to handle any situation. And so we just want to lift you up in prayer as well. So join your faith with us as we pray. Father, first of all, we thank you for this message, and I pray for your wisdom and revelation that can be shared in a way that people can receive it. Father, we trust you to cause revelation to come alive in us and truth to take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. And Father, we lift up Bob this morning and we thank you for giving the doctors wisdom. We take authority over this condition, this pain that he's experiencing. And we pray, Father, for your healing power and, and for a remedy that can, can uh, uh, be administered to him to restore him to health. In the name of Jesus, we stand in faith for him now. And we also lift up Pharaoh Mori. Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus that's above every name that's named. And we hold up her hands before you. We stand on the gap for you. And we plead her case. We thank you that you've sent your word to heal her and deliver her. We thank you that Jesus himself bore her sickness and carried her disease. We declare that she shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. We thank you, Father, for your hand of anointing to minister your healing power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. I, 
I, I do consider it an honor and a privilege to speak and share the word. <coughs> and this morning in particular, with this message, I know some of you are going to be challenged because I know all of us deal with things when it comes to forgiveness. And, and we're going to address that. As, uh, the, the title of this message is The Ultimate Test. And we want to really examine what that is because all of us will be tested. And even God was tested in a sense that he had to do something about our issue. Jesus and the God of, the Gethsemane, of Gethsemane was tested whether or not he was going to follow through on going to the cross. Even pleading with God, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But yet, he was able to follow through and to secure the victory for you and for me. Now, to understand his essence, we have to consider his attributes and his character. And let me tell you again, I want to share this because I think it's so important. The character of God has often been misrepresented by those who claim to follow him. And say, so I don't want to be among those Christians that misrepresent his character. Because I, don't, I want to represent Jesus for who he really is. Not some religious facade, not just some type of uh, spiritual uh, falsehood. I want to represent him for who he really is. And, and, and when we look at God, I, I can give you some descriptive words of who he is. God is spirit, God is light, God is true, God is good. God is personal, God is triune, God is constant, God is omnipresent, that means he's ever-present, he's everywhere all the time. God is eternal, God is omniscient, he's all-knowing. God is omnipotent, that's all-powerful, omnipotent is how you pronounce that. God is holy, God is righteous, God is just, God is wise. Last week we looked at his mercy and grace, God is full of mercy and grace. And then God is loving and forgiving. That's what we're going to look at today, the attribute of God's love and forgiveness in that how is that measured in our lives? How is that expressed in our lives as we relate one to another? So the ultimate test, love and forgiveness. Let me just say this. Love's ultimate test is the willingness and the ability to forgive to forgive an offense. See, love is incomplete without forgiveness. Forgiveness is the greatest expression of love. There is no love without forgiveness. And see, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was the greatest expression of the love of God. He forgave those who hated him those who had conspired to put him to death, he forgave them in the moment of his death, releasing forgiveness from the cross. Wow. Now today as we explore his love and forgiveness, we need to understand that these are two important attributes of, that make up his essence. Now when we look at the word love in the Bible, love is found in 684 verses of the English Standard Version. 449 of these verses are in the Old Testament and 235 in the New Testament. Now that might uh, surprise some of you because you think, some people think, well, the Old Testament, God is harsh, he's depicted as a judge and you know people are getting wiped out all the time. But love is found more times in more verses in the Old Testament than the New, okay? Now you might say, well, it's bigger, but 
that's besides the point, okay? Anyway, um, now, love is found more times in Psalms than any other book of the Bible. In fact, 168 times in, in verses. And, and Song of Solomon comes in second with 37 verses. First John comes in third with 26 verses. Forgive, forgiven, and forgiveness is found 109 times, 51 in the Old Testament, 58 in the New. Now, these are just statistics. Uh, you don't, I don't know if you're writing these down or not, but they're just for you to kind of get a barometer of how this subject, how much it's addressed in the scriptures or through the scriptures. Now, forgiveness, forgiven, and forgive, these words are found more in the book of Matthew than any other book of the Bible, 11 times, 11 verses. Leviticus comes in second at 10 verses. And note that in some of these verses, the words are found more than once. And so these are just a number of verses where we see love and forgiveness mentioned and stated. Now, one of the things I want to do is define what love is from a Greek vantage point because there are several Greek words that define love. You may have heard of agape, uh, phileo, eros, the different types of love. And, but I want to focus on just one this morning, and that's agape. Agape is the God kind of love. Agape is a love that sees another person as valuable and precious. It's an unconditional love that's not based on what that person does or what they don't do. See, phileo, on the other hand, is a friendship love. It's a mutual love. You do something for me, I do something for you. There's, uh, and, and, and storge, that's another Greek word that kind of works that way too. But agape is set high and above every other type of love that we see described. And the Greek language is very expressive because it, it has four or five words for love and we just have one English word for love. And so it's very distinct when we look at agape because God's love is agape. He has already determined you valuable and precious. See, you often value yourself by your own self-worth or you place self-worth on others. But God has placed a worth on you and he's determined you valuable and precious, not based on what you do or don't do. And that's an unconditional love that, that it's hard often for us to receive and sometimes even grasp or comprehend that kind of love. But that's the kind of love God has for us, and that's the kind of love he wants working in us and through us, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. So, in fact, uh, he loves you just because. He doesn't need a reason to love you. He just does. Because we say, how can you love me, God? Well, he does. Lord, you don't know what I did. Well, he loves you. But I messed up, God. He still loves you. Uh, and that sometimes blows our minds because we think love has to be earned or gained, but not with God. First John 4, 7, and 8. And, and, and I'm going to read this, and I'm going to share a little personal story of when I had this encounter where the love of God really became real to me. And let me just make this statement. Before we read, we're going to read 1 John 4, 7, and this is in your uh, little handout today. Um, a revelation of the love of God will transform your life. It will, trans it will literally transform your life. In 1 John 4, 7, and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. 
So this is an invitation. Let us love one another. Okay, let's, let's get along. For love is from God. That's the source of love. It's from him, okay? And everyone who loves has been born of God. See, that means they have the DNA of God. They have the capacity to love because they've been born of God and knows God. So it's not just being a born-again Christian that gives you the capacity to love, but it's also having a relationship, a vital relationship where you actually know him, you know his heart. Then you can love with his capacity to love. And that's, that's beyond the human, human ability to love. For Satan goes on to say, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. See, if you know God, then you're love, period. If you don't know him, then you're incapacitated. You are limited in your ability to really love like he wants you to because you don't really know him. I want to know him. I want to know him in such a way so that my capacity to love is like his, and that's his plan. He wants you to love others as he loves, as he loves you, okay? And, and see, love is, 1 Corinthians 13, most weddings, well, maybe most weddings, you may hear this passage read. Person gets up there, scripture reading time. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Okay? And this kind of defines love for us in a practical sense because we have to be practical. How do we live this out? Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, it says, love is patient. Uh-oh, I'm done for already. <laughs> and kind. Oh, 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 gosh. Patient and kind. Now, I can be patient, but that doesn't mean I have to be kind. I've been waiting in this line for a long time. You get up to the cash register, it's about time. Oh, that's not love, okay? Oh, that's not kindness, okay? So patient and kind, love does not envy. But God, why did they get a new car? Lord, I'm faithfully serving you. Why did you bless them and you don't bless me? Ooh. Yeah, that envy, that's, that, that's not the love of God. Uh, it goes on to say, um, love does not envy or boast. Mm. Oh, that boasting thing, that can get us in trouble, can it? It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's got to be my way or the highway. No, it doesn't do that. does not even go there, okay? It is not irritable and resentful. Oh, gosh, ladies, guys. Do we have those days where we're just irritable? We're resentful because we didn't get our morning cup of coffee. You know, I started making French press at home. Great thing, great invention. Thank God for the French. <laughs> and I make that cup of coffee. Uh, you know, make it, and you know, I actually got two of them now because you know we gotta make sure there's enough for everybody to go around. But I've found if I fail to make it, there's a little resentment by one member of our family. Hmm, okay, and I won't mention names. It's not my wife either, okay? I love you, Mackenzie. <laughs> okay. Where are we? Let's get back to the scripture here, okay? She's going to talk to me when I get home, I know. Verse 6, 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Oh yeah, they're getting what they deserve. But it rejoices with the truth. Verse seven, love bears all things. In other words, you can put up with anything when you have the capacity to love and that love of God in you, you can put up and bear up with anything. Okay? Believes all things. Or sometimes our faith is shot down and it seems there's no hope. But love gives you the capacity to believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Beginning of verse 8 says, love never fails. Never fails. Never. If you're operating in the love of God, it will never fail you. I said, well, I tried to do that. I tried to love. I tried to put up with that. Well, then it won't fail if it's really the love of God, okay? So, now, if you are not acting this way that we see in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, then you are not acting in love. Now, there's great love. I, I want to talk about great love for a moment. In John 15, 13, uh, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, I tell you what, you know, I can have a friend and that friend can be so close and I'll lay my, my life down for them. I'll die for that person. I'll do that for any member of my family and most of you. <laughs> it's only if I don't know you yet, okay? Then <laughs> we got to get to know each other, okay? But you need to understand something here. That the love of God goes even beyond that. that Jesus is describing the capacity of human love. Because think about this for a moment. Jesus' love not only laid down his life for his friends, but also for his enemies. So the love of God, you will be willing to lay your life down for an enemy, somebody that doesn't even deserve respect or your love. That, now that's, that's, oh God, we need help. And, and we do have his help because he gives us his love. Now, and, and so we see here, this is the greatest extent of human love to lay down your life for your friends. But Jesus took it to a whole nother level. See, Jesus' love was so pure, he gave his life for us, whether we accept him or reject him. Now let's talk about forgiveness Redemption is God forgiving the sins of humanity all the way back to Adam and Eve. And see, 1 John 2, 2, the scripture tells us he's the propitiation. That's a hard word to say for me. Propitiation. Can I say it? Did I say it right? Which is simply <coughs> the act of making peace. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> for our sins. It's the act of making peace for our sins not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, the whole wide world. He bore our sin. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespass is another term for sin. It's, it's like, you know what? You ever see a no trespassing sign? That simply says you don't cross that line. You don't go in that place. You don't go on that land. It's off limits to you. We trespass, we sin, we go places that God doesn't want us to do with our life, with our thoughts and actions, okay? So, according, it goes on to say, according to the riches of his grace. 
we have redemption. We have, we have forgiveness of sins. Now, what are three things that we can say about the essence of his love and forgiveness and how is it relevant in our lives? I want to give you the three points. Number one, we must identify and connect with the source of love. We must identify and connect with the source of love. See, so many want to love and be loved, but have failed to connect with the author of love, with the source of love. John 3.16, and I'm sure everybody knows what this says. How many of you don't know what John 3.16 says? I'll, I'll give you a clue, but, okay, starts out with God, or for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved that he gave. His love compelled him and motivated him to give. Love will always cause you to give, always, not take. Oh, it's easy to take and be greedy and selfish, but love will cause you to give. See, the greatest givers are the greatest lovers, okay? Or the greatest lovers are the greatest givers, I should say. And first, John 3.16, another 3.16, but only with a one in front of it. In First John 3.16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So, so here we see this charge again, to be willing to lay your life down. And see, we lay our life down, not necessarily in death, but sometimes in serving, in serving the other person. We lay our life down, we give ourselves in service to be a blessing in other people's lives. In 1 John 4, 7, again, we see, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Wow. So, if you're in right relationship with Jesus, you have the capacity to love as he loves because you are born of love. And see, we see a new commandment Jesus gave in, in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. And this commandment, I, I think even the disciples, when they heard this, they were challenged. When we hear this, we can be challenged. John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Notice these next two words, just as. Just as I have loved you. Can you love others as Jesus loves you? We're supposed to. We are supposed to. It's a commandment. Now let me tell you something about a commandment. The commandment that comes from the mouth of Jesus is not just an order, but it's a commission. Because when, whatever he commands us to do, that gives us the authority to carry it out. A similar command was to Peter. When Peter's in the boat, and the, the, it was looking pretty bad, and Jesus walking on the water, and they, that's the sight. And Peter wasn't too certain, neither were the rest of the disciples, whether that was Jesus or not. But they said, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come. What did Jesus say? Come. Peter knew if the Son of God commands me to do something, 
I can do it no matter what it is, even if it's walking on water. So he stepped out on that command and did something that was completely impossible. And he began to walk towards Jesus until he started looking around. He saw the waves. Oh, man, that's a tough, that's a tough wave, man. Look at that. It's going up higher than me. And he saw the wind. I don't know how you can see the wind. No, you can't see the wind, but you can see what it does. And he got his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. Oh, Jesus saved him. He didn't let him drown. Thank God. So when he commands us to do something, we then have the capacity to carry it out. If you believe the command, if you receive that, it goes on to say, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the distinguishing mark upon every true follower of Jesus Christ. If you have love one for another, if you're hateful, if you're judgmental all the time, I would question whether or not you're truly following Jesus. Even though you call yourself a Christian, but if you're hateful, oh, you know, I'm doing all that stuff. I won't go into that. But, okay, moving right along. Number two, ready for point number two? We must identify and connect with the source of forgiveness. Just as we identify and connect with the source of love, we must identify and connect with the source of forgiveness. And that's Jesus, obviously. See, forgiveness further magnifies the measure of his great love. It takes it in a way that expresses it to its fullest degree. In Luke 24, 47, Jesus, in his closing statements before he was ascended to heaven, stated, I'm going to get some of this here. He said, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Forgiveness, repentance, and forgiveness of sins. That this message of forgiveness was to be proclaimed to the nations of the world. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, the scripture states, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. That's what redemption is. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. See, we must receive forgiveness so that we can give forgiveness Freely you have received, so freely give. The moment you receive forgiveness, then puts you in a place where you have not only the capacity to forgive, but the responsibility to forgive others. I think one of the greatest tragedies in a Christian's life is when they harbor unforgiveness in their heart. When they hold something in, resentment or hatred towards somebody because of what they did wrong, and they may th feel that they have legitimate cause and reason to be upset, to be resentful, to be bitter, to be unforgiving. They may feel they have a just cause, but not in God's eyes. Not in God's eyes. See, point number three, and this is going to bring us up to the culmination of this message here this morning. Point number three, forgiveness is the ultimate test of true love. Not just for those who love you, but for those who hate you. And we could add those who you hate. So it's the ultimate test. 
I've loved them. I mean, you say, well, I, I can forgive somebody because I love that person. I really love who they are. You're supposed to forgive your spouse and all that stuff. But if there's somebody that hates you, they're out to get you, do you owe them forgiveness? Uh, according to the word you do. Um, Luke 6, 27 says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Oh. See, if you love your enemies, that means you have to forgive them because forgiveness is love and action. Right. You might want to write that down. Forgiveness is love and action. If you say you love somebody and haven't forgiven them, then you, you haven't loved them. Then it goes on to say, do good to those who hate you. Oh, gosh, Lord, I'm cooked. Now what? I got to do good to that person? God, that doesn't make sense. But when you do, because otherwise, you're trying to take your own revenge. And God says, no, let me deal with it. You, you give it to me, and I'll deal with them. But as long as you hold on to that offense and you don't let it go, then God's hands are tied in the sense they can't really deal with that person the way he needs to. Um, see, forgiveness is the proof of genuine love. It's proof of genuine love. Forgiveness is the greatest expression of love. It's the ultimate form of love. It's the ultimate test of true love. I heard a preacher a number of years ago say, forgiveness is forgiving. But they paused for a moment and they said, separate the words for and giving. And let's say it again, forgiveness is for giving. See, you can't give to somebody that you haven't forgiven. You can't give them a smile. You can't give them the time of day. You can't earnestly pray that God blesses them. Forgiveness gives you the ability to give into somebody's life, to pour into their life, to be a blessing to them. See, that's the way of Christianity. It's so contrary to, to so many other methods out there in the world and religious systems. I got to tell you this. I tell you this story. Pastor Deb used to have a moped. This was before we were married, so Deb has this moped. She actually bought it from my mom. Yeah, my mom had it. She had it on the farm. She'd run to the grocery store, and it would top speed, 35 miles an hour. So I forget what she paid for, but she bought it, got a good deal, and she has this moped. Um, sometime, and she had this moped. I don't know how long she had it, but it's a knock on the door. Police officer. And he says, um, Deborah Nowak, that was a maiden name back then. Um, we have a registration of, uh, of a moped. We found uh, a stolen vehicle, and um, we have the person who stole it, uh, custody and whatever. And, and you know what? She didn't even know it was stolen. Somebody had got into a garage, stole it. How, and how long was it stolen? Probably three weeks or so. Something I don't remember. And so, so then the first thing they do, you want to press charges. And so she talked to me. She said, Pastor, what should we do here? You know. And I said, Well, why don't we just have him come and have a meeting with us? We'll meet with the guy. What's that? You said that. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. We'll get. For the record, 
because she's so full of love and forgiveness, you know, she said, let's just meet with the guy. And so I tell you, this guy, this was before we had this building, so we're in the old building, and he comes into our office, he's sitting there with Deb and I, and he is scared. This guy, he is like, you know, I have to meet with this pastor and, and this woman who I stole this moped from. And guess what? We didn't say, you're going to pay. We got you. You've been caught. No, we, we shared the gospel with him. And guess what? He accepted Jesus, the Lord of his life. And then guess what Pastor Deb did? She gave him the moped. She said, it's yours. That act of love transformed that man's life. He was a troublemaker. He was a nuisance to the community. He ended up joining the military, serving in our country, serving our country. And every now and then, when he's back in there, he'll come and visit the church. And he's so thankful and grateful because someone demonstrated to him the love of God like no one had ever done before that time. Oh, I tell you, it's a powerful story of redemption. And there's so many. I, I just went, you know, Reader's Digest, they have like these top 10. Oh, wow, you know. You start reading through these things. But, you know, forgiveness is an amazing, powerful life changer. I never did tell you my revelation of the love of God either. <laughs> but, oh gosh, God is so wonderful. He's so good. See, our unforgiveness is destructive to any relationship. It's a relationship destroyer. Unforgiveness is resentment that leads to revenge, getting even or taking justice into your own hands rather than giving it to God. See, unforgiveness towards someone is like taking poison and expecting them to die. Unforgiveness is like a container that holds the hurt inside. Yeah. And eventually that hurt will destroy you with bitterness and resentment. We see the example of, of Joseph in the Bible, and I don't have time to get into it, but he was betrayed by his brothers. They sold him into slavery. I mean, the possible worst thing that could happen, sold by his own brothers, betrayed by his own brothers. And yet years later, because he was able to forgive, God raised him up to be a great man of success. And he had an opportunity to forgive his brothers. Now, he put them to the little test before that. He wanted to put the fear of God in them. But he did forgive them. He was reconciled with them. And he made this statement in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He saved the world back then from famine and from death and starvation because he was able to forgive and let that offense go. God turned it around. See, whenever you give up that offense and forgive that person, you turn the table and God is able to take what was meant for evil and work it for your good. Amen? Amen. Matthew 6, 15, this is a sobering scripture. It says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. So that makes forgiveness beyond just conditional. It makes it mandatory. Because how can God forgive you and then you not forgive somebody else? You've stopped God from moving 
And then the table flips the other way and God in his justice cannot carry out that forgiveness towards you because you have withheld it from someone else. Unforgiveness will keep more people out of heaven than anything else. See, the withholding of love and forgiveness is devastating to your life. He forgave us so that we could forgive others. What is our response when we are offended, falsely accused, or taken advantage of? Go the route of love and forgive. Now, it might be hard. See, to forgive is a choice. It's an act of the human will. It's an act of the will from the heart. It's not a feeling. (coughs) Some people say, well, I don't feel like doing it. It's a decision you make. You choose to forgive. Make the choice to rid yourself of the burden of unforgiveness. See, we must be willing to forgive and be forgiven. In Matthew 18, 33 through 35, and we'll share this in a couple more verses here. I've laid a scriptural foundation. I've shared a lot of scriptures, but I want you to have this biblical scriptural foundation on this subject because it's so important. In Matthew 18, 35, we see Jesus sharing a parable, and it ends where there's a man that was forgiven of a great debt, and he had a fellow servant, and he wouldn't forgive his fellow uh, servant. And the scripture says in studying in verse 33, and, you, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? Verse 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the, his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So you gotta do it. Colossians three thirteen. It says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So forgive as he forgave you. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, I love this passage. Let all bitterness, all bitterness, say all bitterness, bitterness. and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we forgive as God forgives. That's a mandate from the scripture. That's a charge we see from the Bible. And see, that's something you and I can carry out. We can live that out. We can live that way. We don't have to live full of resentment and bitterness. It's eating your lunch. It's destroying you. See, not everyone will... Not everyone you forgive will receive your forgiveness. What do you do then? Well, it releases them from the debt of their sin and the the offense. What happens if you ask for forgiveness and the person won't forgive you? Well, you need to leave it up to God then. It's between them and God. There's nothing you can do except give it to God. See, forgiveness then releases God to deal with them. And that's better then you're dealing with them, right? (coughs) Unforgiveness is a refusal to forgive that will hinder your prayer life. You ever wonder why your prayers aren't answered? It could be that you haven't forgiven. Unanswered prayer is usually a result of harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Mark 11, 25 
says that whenever you stand praying, forgive. So before you go to the prayer meeting, make sure you're not holding unforgiveness towards anyone. Whenever you go to the prayer closet, make sure the first thing you do is forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, a little bit earlier, I was going to share with you about a revelation that God gave me of his love. You know, I, I was at Bible school. This was a number of years ago. It was before I was ever a pastor. And I was, I grew up with a, a real low self-image, poor self-esteem. And it was hard for me to receive compliments. It was hard for me to really see a value in my life. I, I knew God loved me up here, but it never really affected my heart down here. And I can remember, this was a morning, it was a Sunday morning, I was getting ready to go to church. I'm standing in the bathroom, in the mirror, looking at myself, and I had this zit right there, a big zit. And I'm looking at myself, and I, I just said, you are ugly. And it was like, there was almost a self-hatred. I didn't like myself, and I'm, and I'm standing there looking at myself in, in somewhat disgust, and in a moment of time, something in my heart. I, I literally felt the presence of God show up in that room. And it was like God allowed me to step outside myself and see me as, as another, as a person standing there. And for the first time in my life, I saw myself through his eyes. And there was love. I, I saw the value and the worth of who I was. And then God also allowed me to see how other people who loved me, saw me, and appreciated me. And in that moment, my life changed. Because for the first time, I had a revelation. Oh yeah, I knew, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I knew that up here, but it didn't sink into my heart because it seemed like something was blocking it. My, my sins, my, you know, just my weaknesses, my struggles, whatever it was, I didn't feel like, you know, I, I believe God loved everybody else. But did God really love me? And that day was a turning point in my life. Now, I'm attending Bible school, so I'm getting all the knowledge, all the information. But that day changed my life. And that's something that God has for you. For you to have an encounter and a revelation of his love for you so that you know that he loves you because you experience that love by revelation, by understanding. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, I believe this is the day for you to encounter his love. This is the day for you to experience his forgiveness. And there's nothing greater than to be forgiven, to know that your sins are totally eradicated, washed away, removed. As the scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, and they east and west never meet. So they're gone forever of his great love. The greatest encounter with God's love is to be forgiven. Have you received his forgiveness? See, because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. I'm no longer a slave to sin, to fear, to anxiety, to loneliness, to anger, to hatred. 
I'm no longer a slave to worthlessness, brokenness, or depression, sickness, or disease, or lack, or even poverty. I am a child of God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, we want to take a moment and give you an opportunity because if you're here today, you might say, Pastor, you know, I don't know that my life is really right with God. I don't know if I'm in right standing with Him. If you still feel guilt and, all, and have all this sin junk in your life and you're just struggling just to make it, if you don't know God today, you can have an encounter with Him and experience His love and forgiveness in a very beautiful way. I'd say, Pastor, I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus. Now, many of you have already done that, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't surrendered to Him. Maybe you haven't opened your heart to His love, to His forgiveness. I'm appealing you to you today. If you lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me so that I can receive God's love and God's forgiveness? I don't know that if I died, I would go to heaven. I don't know that my life is right with God. If that's you, lift your hand because we want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone today? Can I see that hand? There's others. Just hold up your hand. You can put it down. Thank you for being so honest. We're going to have the prayer team come up here at this time. And if you raised your hand this morning, we're going to invite you to take another step to actually come to the prayer and stand in front of one of the prayer team members and pray with them. But also maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I've ever really had a revelation of God's love for me. And you desire that encounter. Just to take that step, you might say, well, do I have to come up there? No, you don't. But there's something about stepping out from the comfort of your seat. In fact, let's stand together at this time to make it easier for those that want to come forward to come forward. And maybe even if it's coming and just standing in the front and saying, Lord, I just need a revelation of your love for me. God's going to meet you today. And I believe it's going to impact your life from this day forward. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you for raising him from the dead to give me new life. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a revelation of your love. I receive your forgiveness. And as an act of my will, I choose to forgive those who have offended me. I choose to forgive those who have wronged me. I choose to forgive my enemies. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.